Indeed, may that be the prayer of our hearts. Thank you so much to the Carnes family for the special music today. Do you hear the words of that song? There was a commitment, a delivering over of all of my heart and my life to the Lord Jesus. That's a big deal. Do we truly believe that from our hearts? Well, if you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 21, we will find here an incredible description of the Lord's love for us and care for us and desire for us as we live our lives. We're going to look at Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. We're going to first see him at the end of the Gospel of John as the Lord is reunited with him just a few days after Peter had denied him. And we find that God has a task for him that is so very important because he loves all of us. We're going to find that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. We're going to find out that we're his sheep. We are his heritage. We are his sheep whom he has purchased with his own blood. And oh, our value in his eyes. He longs for our care. And he is the great shepherd knowing that we all are as sheep. He begins to consider when he will ascend to heaven and that there will be a need for under-shepherds, for other shepherds to feed his sheep, to shepherd his lambs. And he begins this ministry with Peter. It begins here with Peter shortly after Jesus Christ's resurrection. And then we will go to 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter now, oh, 30 years later, or a little bit more, will be addressing congregations throughout Asia Minor, churches throughout Asia Minor, and reminding them again of how precious they are in God's sight and how much so the great shepherd knows and that there is a need for under-shepherds to help to guide, feed, oversee his heritage, his flock. So look with me here in John chapter 21. Again, this is just a short time after Jesus has been crucified, buried, and risen from the dead. Peter has seen Jesus since he rose from the dead, but Peter is still a little bit unsure of his relationship with Jesus, as sometimes we find ourselves too, don't we? Peter forsook the Lord, not only forsook him, but in the night of his trial, denied him, denied even knowing him. And then he witnessed Christ's death, he witnessed his burial, and he has seen him alive. But you know, he's not so sure what his calling is. Jesus had called him once before when Peter was fishing. Peter was a fisherman by trade, not a hobbyist. It was his job. And Jesus had found him 
with his family doing the family business of fishing. And he called to Peter, and he said, come, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And Peter followed Jesus and has followed him for three years. And he has seen and he has heard as Jesus has described himself as the good shepherd. And he has seen Jesus' love and compassion for people. And again, in the midst of all of that, in the hour of trial, he denied his good shepherd. But you know, Jesus forgave him. And some time has gone by. And you know what Peter says to the other disciples? I go a-fishing. He's not quite sure where his place is right now. But Jesus has a plan for Peter. Jesus has a plan for Peter. And so Simon Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee and two of the other disciples, they're out in the Sea of Galilee fishing. And they fish all night. And you know how much they catch? Nothing. Nothing. Imagine poor Peter. This used to be his career. Then he's been following Jesus, the good shepherd, and he's messed that up pretty bad, so he's going back to fishing, and that first night out, nothing. And you, I hope, know the account. For that next morning, Jesus is there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he has already um, gotten some fish from somewhere, and uh, he's frying them up there, knowing that there's disciples out there on the sea having caught nothing. I often think about this, and I wonder in God's providence or supernatural miraculous structure kept them from catching fish, just so Jesus could show them who he was. And that next morning, he's on the beach frying up some fish. They're out there fishing, and he calls out to them, did you catch anything? No. So he shouts out, cast the net on the other side. Now, if you're fishing with, that doesn't make a lot of sense. What difference does it make? I mean, we're not, but they do it. And as soon as they do it, they catch so many fish that the ships are likened to be broken up and sink. In that moment, Peter realizes and says, it's the Lord. And you know what Peter does? He takes himself and he casts himself into the sea and he starts swimming to shore because he wants to see Jesus. And there he finds Jesus with breakfast, all ready to serve. And then this begins a conversation that is so very important. As the good shepherd, the great shepherd, begins to deal with one of his sheep, one of his sheep that is struggling with wandering, that's struggling to know his place, to struggling to know what God has for him. And so look with me here in John 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? more than these? Now, some have asked and wondered, is the question here more than these, more than the fish and the career of fishing, or do you love me more than the disciples, that the other disciples that are here? Is it a contrast? And it's not real clear. But the question here is, do you love me? And here Jesus uses 
The strongest Greek word, as it's inspired here, whether or not this conversation took place in Greek, this was the significance of it, but the strongest Greek word you could use for love. It is the greatest, deepest, self-sacrificing love, the love that does what is best for the one loved. And he asked, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Peter saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Peter is smitten. His conscience is struck. Jesus asks him, using the strongest word for love, if he loves him. And Peter responds with a lesser word. He responds with the Greek word phileo rather than agape. Phileo means friendly love, brotherly love. Not the great love, but the friend kind of love. You see, I think Peter, he's, he's just a wee bit nervous to claim that depth of love. But in spite of that, do you see what Jesus responds to him as saying? Peter, feed my lambs. He's calling him to the ministry of a pastor. The word pastor, pastor comes from the word pasture, which comes has the idea of caring for the sheep in the pasture. He's calling for him to be a pastor, a shepherd of his sheep. Notice whose sheep they are. They're not Peter's sheep. They're Jesus' sheep. They're the sheep of the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And he says to Peter, feed my lambs. I don't know what was going on there. I don't know if there was any separation between verse 15 and 16. Maybe they ate a few bites of food. You know, let this sink in. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says to him again, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Again, using the greatest word for love. Peter saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Love is a friend thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verse 17. Jesus then saith to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And here he uses the same word that Peter's been using. Phileo, brotherly love. Do you love me as a friend, as a brother? And Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me. He was struck. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Here again the brotherly love. And Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. There's a lot we could preach on just right here. But our goal is to get to 1 Peter, to look and see of how after 30 years, this calling of Peter results in inspired instruction for the church. 
But there's a few quick lessons to learn from here. One is that for pastors, under shepherds, serving the good shepherd and the great shepherd, if we are going to feed God's heritage, God's flock, we need to love Jesus. We need to love the good shepherd. It's a key foundation here for Peter, as Peter is given the instruction to feed the sheep of God. Who are the sheep, you might wonder? Well, if we turn to the book of 1 Peter, we will find Jesus describing who his sheep are. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we find out that Jesus Christ is the one who suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. This letter is written specifically to the churches of Asia, but really it applies to the churches and the saints throughout history in the church of Jesus Christ and applies to us. And here we find that Jesus is one who has suffered for us and he has left for us an example, an example for us to follow. You see, the relationship of sheep and a shepherd is very much about following. It's about leading. The good shepherd leading and the sheep following and Jesus Christ is the shepherd. We are the sheep. The description of Jesus here is the good shepherd continues on in verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Well, that can't be said for us sheep, for all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And as we see here, the Lord hath laid on him, that is Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. But he was one who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth rightly, righteously. Who? His own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Every one of us are sick in sin. Every one of us are cursed by sin. Every one of us are in serious trouble because of sin. But that sin Jesus took upon himself so that we could be healed and so that we could live unto righteousness. Now look at verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So the first question here this morning every one of us need to ask ourselves and answer is, am I a sheep who goes my own way or am I a sheep who has returned unto the shepherd and bishop of my soul? Am I one of Jesus' sheep? Have I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved have I been redeemed and have I been purchased with his precious blood? That's the first question we need to ask. And then the next question we ask is, are we returned to him 
and do we follow him as he is our good shepherd? Every day, do we live our lives recognizing that we are sheep, recognizing that in our own way we'd go astray, but that we have a good shepherd who has redeemed us and purchased us and not just come along with some money because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but has shed his own precious blood to redeem us, to make us his own precious sheep. And do we follow him? Do we follow him as the shepherd and bishop of our souls? You see, Jesus knew something about all of us. He knows that we're all sheep, and he knows that we all need a shepherd. And he is the great shepherd. And he knows that there's also some help that he can use in shepherding his people. That's why he called Peter. That's why in Titus chapter 1, Paul understood this truth. And he knew that in the churches on the island of Crete, there were things, quote, wanting. Now, what that means is, is that there are things that were not quite right, things that needed to be made right. And in Titus chapter 1, Paul said to Titus that I've left you there in Crete so that you could set in order the things that are wanting. And then he goes on and defines a specific thing that is wanting when he says to him that you ordain elders in every city. Elders is another title given for pastors. And so it is a needful thing that the good shepherd has recognized that in this life that he needs shepherds, under shepherds, to also be appointed in the leading and the feeding of his flock. In Titus chapter 1, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, laid this out. Peter now presumes this is already the case and having already been done in Asia Minor to the churches he is writing. And so here he is in 1 Peter, and he's having, having just come through describing and preparing a church for persecution. And he knows that in this persecution, the desire of the enemy is to see the sheep scattered. And he knowing this, and again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he opens in chapter 5, or as we have the division here in chapter 5, he transitions to the ministry of the pastor. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we have laid out for us one of the most concise overviews and complete overviews of the pastoral ministry in the local church. It's really significant. We find in here three different functions as well as three different titles given to these under-shepherds. If you look here, let's read the passage and then we'll come back and look at it specifically. Peter is writing, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind here that this is about 30 years, 32 years after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus gave him the specific command to feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And now, Peter writes this, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a little while, or a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is writing to the churches, and as he is writing to the churches, he knows that there's been persecution. Persecution coming from civil authorities. Persecution coming from unbelievers. He also knows that there is a roaring lion who is seeking to devour them. And he knows that each of these churches are filled with precious lambs. The flock of God. Did you see how he describes them? They are described in verse 2 as the flock of God. Described in verse 3 as being God's heritage as well as a flock. A flock can be scattered. A flock can be led astray. A flock can be in a lot of trouble. There's a need for shepherds. In this passage, we will see three different words that describe three different functions of the pastor. The first one is the word elders. Elders. You actually will recognize these words because in our modern world, different churches have taken and applied different emphasis to some of these different words, and you'll find the Greek words actually used in our English language to describe and being used by different denominations. The key thing to remember is that it's a description here, all of one office in the church, and it's describing the different functions of that office. The first one here is the word elders. You might recognize the Greek word, presbyteros. Presbyteros. That's where the Presbyterians get their name. It comes from the idea of an eldership and the way that they've structured their churches with elders. They've done it with a hierarchy of elders. We as Baptists don't believe in the hierarchy, apart from the fact that we have the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, and then we have autonomous churches with a single um, well, I shouldn't say single, but with elders 
within that church that are accountable directly to the chief shepherd. There's not a whole hierarchy or structure of a, of a big denominational church. But the word they use is the Greek word here, presbyteros, for elders. This word carries in its specific significance here the idea of one who is mature, not necessarily age, one who is mature and is one who is worthy of respect by the office he holds. It comes and is a word that comes all through from the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, of the idea of those who are ruling in a particular situation who are mature and worthy of respect. Here is the word elders. As we continue on here, the first word of verse 2, it's a command, but it actually comes with, a, we have different forms of that word. Here we see the word feed. Peter is saying to the elders, feed the flock of God. This is the word in the Greek that is the same as a shepherd. It is a shepherd, and one of the primary functions of a shepherd is to lead them beside the still waters. So there's a leading. It is to bring them to the green pastures where they can feed. It is where they are brought to be protected in the, as they feed. And so it's the idea of a shepherd. That's where we get the word pastor. So we have here one who is an elder, who is a pastor, who is a shepherd, who is feeding, leading, guiding, protecting the flock of God. And then there's another word here where it says um, in verse 2, the functions here of this elder is one of feeding the flock. And then you notice the phrase, taking the oversight thereof the oversight thereof. These are the three functions. The elder, the pastor shepherd who feeds, leads, guides, and protects, and the elder is one who is an overseer. And here we have another Greek word you might recognize. A, a pick, um, I'm trying to get the Greek one rather than the English one because the English one's right on my tongue, but it is episkopos. Have you heard of the Episcopal Church? Again, they put an emphasis upon this. It is, carries the idea of the oversight. So the pastor is a shepherd who is an elder who should be mature, worthy of respect, to rule well, as he is one who is an overseer. He is a bishop. If we read over in Titus and in Timothy, we find the qualifications laid forth of this one who is called a bishop. So in a sense, your pastor could be referred to as an elder. He could be referred to as a bishop or a shepherd, or you might even call me a presbyteros. You wouldn't do that because you're not Greek. You're English. But these are the three functions of the ministry of a pastor. Now let's look here at it more closely. Understanding these functions and these roles, Peter has, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brilliantly laid out this ministry and also some very interesting checks and balances. Look here where it speaks of the elders which are among you, I exhort. It's intriguing here that he's not just writing to the elders, 
but he is acknowledging that what he is about to present to these regarding the elders, he is presenting to the church as a whole. So these are very much specifically exhortations here to me as a pastor, but as one of whom I am among you. That's an important role. They, I am a sheep just like you. I am among you. Yes, I may be a pastor, but I am still a sheep under, among you as I am a sheep of the great good shepherd. That's an important function here. He goes on and he begins this as a passion and a plea. And this is interesting what Peter says. He says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder? That's interesting. He's not pointing himself as above, but he's again pointing himself as together with, which is an interesting note because some have made a big deal about Peter being a pope. Peter's not a pope. He's an elder, just like I'm an elder. There's not this hierarchy or structure. And so it's not here speaking of him in some higher level. He's actually notating his level just there, right there with them, as, as putting himself right there, recognizing that distinction here. And then he goes on, and he makes something interesting. He says, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, when you read that, you might think, ah, oh, yes, this is the Peter that on that day, 32, 34 years ago, stood on that hill of Golgotha of Calvary and witnessed the death of Jesus Christ. You'd be right, he did. He did witness it. But that's not what he's talking about here. The word here, witness, we've talked about here recently. It's the Greek word martyrus. He's saying here, I am just also an elder among you, and I am a martyr of the sufferings of Christ. He's saying, I indeed saw him crucified and die, but I am one who is a witness, a testimony, one who proclaims who Christ is and why he suffered, knowing why he suffered. That's what he's saying he is. And he's also one who ends up being a martyr, as we understand it in the English sense, one who gave his life for the truth. He really, truly witnessed the sufferings of Christ in the ultimate way. He describes as he goes on to say that he's also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He's encouraging the church. He's encouraging the elders of the fact that there's a glory that will be revealed. As we keep on reading, he's speaking of the, when the chief shepherd, com, shepherd comes back in verse 4. That's going to be a glorious day. And he says, I'm a partaker in that. So here now he's identified himself, and he's appealed to the churches, and he's spoken to them, and now he addresses, is going to address the elders specifically. The first instruction. Feed the flock of God which is among you. The word feed, again here, carries more than just the idea of feeding. It is feeding. It's providing for. It's nourishing. It's caring for. It's tending to. It's the everything and idea that's tied up in the concept and idea of what a shepherd does. One major ministry, though, is the feeding, you know. That's why a priority is placed in preaching the Word of God, in teaching the Word of God. 
because we all need to be feeding on the Word of God. It's an overwhelming burden. It's a privilege. It's a joy. Jeremiah is, was used, Jeremiah, though he lived so long ago, God used him to help me in knowing my calling as a pastor. We're going to learn about it in a Bible hour in the coming weeks, but there's a point where Jeremiah comes to the point, and he was just so weary. He was so persecuted. He was put in bonds. He was tortured. He was, it was just a miserable existence. God told him they'd fight against him, but God delivered him out of every one. It was just miserable, actually. And he kind of complains to the Lord, and he kind of hands in his resignation, and he says, I'm done, I'm done. And Jeremiah chapter 20, after his resignation, he says, but the word of the Lord was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. The word of God is living, and it was living in Jeremiah, and he says, I was weary to forbear. He says it was such a passion for him. It was so incredible, the privilege of proclaiming the word of God that he couldn't resign because of what God had called for him to do. It's a need to feed the flock of God. There were so many other different um, commands given in the New Testament regarding the pastor and his ministry and what he needs to be doing and should be doing as it's laid forth in different passages. Actually, um, Timothy or, and Titus are all given as pastoral epistles and are given very much for instructions of how the church functions and very much specifically of how to do the ministry. Going back to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 20, Paul, not Peter, but Paul was on his way back through Jerusalem and he stopped over in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is one of those churches Peter wrote his letter to. And while Paul was in Ephesus, he called together for the elders to come together to him and um, he just shared his heart with them and he cried with them and he prayed with them, anticipating that it may be the last time he would see them. And he said to them, he says, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, Paul wrote saying, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All the counsel of God. I've shunned not to declare it unto you. And then he tells these elders, he says to them, take heed therefore unto yourselves. Pay attention, wake up, elders. And to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, bishops, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone, night and day, with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Here, a ministry of the elder. Here it is again, a feeding. Here, Paul uses it and cites how he was one who shunned not to declare the whole counsel of God. When I read that phrase, it's an overwhelming burden. 
the whole counsel of God. It's very hard for me to skim and to gloss over certain things. I long for you to know them. It's one reason why it is so important that as sheep, we all are not just hearing the word of God on Sundays, but we are all ourselves seeking to understand and know and apply and live the whole counsel of God in our day-to-day lives. If we were to only eat once a week, we'd probably all starve, right? We would. It's a feeding that needs to take place every day. And as a pastor, I can't be in every one of your houses in every single day. But oh, my heart and burden is for all of you to be feeding, feeding in the richness of God's word every day. And for us, when we do come together for short times, whether it's in the preaching of the word or if it's around a table together and studying the word of God or just in a conversation and talking through the word of God, it is so important for us all to have an appetite for God's word, the whole counsel of God, that we might feast on his word. It's a burden. It's something that is a struggle to know. You have a whole structure for me as I look at this, and I know that there are some... Just yesterday, Evelyn and I were talking with a, a person who, who knows so little of the truth. And just about every other sentence, we'd have to stop and say, I, we just said, do you know what we mean by that? I was so thankful for her honesty to say, no, I don't know what that means. And to go back and to then explain it. And so much, it's so difficult as you consider that there are sheep who have been feeding on the word of God for many years And there are some sheep who have only come to know and even know anything or ever read anything from the Bible less than two months ago. Oh, how much there is to learn and how much actually we can all be helping each other in in feeding one another. It's also in the church, the elder, he has this responsibility and this need to feed the flock of God, which is among you. The instruction is then given taking the oversight thereof. Here is the word tied to the idea of being a bishop, the oversight. This is where a shepherd is is there, and you can imagine a shepherd out in the pasture and all of the sheep, and he's looking over the sheep, and he is watching, and there are certain things that he will change and do. He's watching to see that there's no lion that's coming to devour the sheep, He's looking to see that there's no other false shepherds or hirelings coming in to steal away the sheep or to lead them astray. He's watching to see whether or not one of the, one of the sheep is, is going astray. He has a responsibility to be looking over, to be watching over, and then to be doing something about it. An illustration of this was in Acts chapter 6. The elders saw that there were widows being neglected, but they knew they had an important priority of feeding the flock of God and ministering in the word and in prayer, and so the overseers, the elders, the bishops called to the church to look out among themselves to appoint deacons, deacons, ministers to help in these specific needs, and so the deacon, the the elder, has this responsibility to be for watching over and to be caring for this flock as a shepherd word. It carries with it an aspect of authority. In fact, if you were to turn just a few pages back to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, a command is given to the flock, where there it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, 
and submit yourselves. And the question you may ask is, why? Well, the answer is given. For they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. An overseer is one who is watching for your souls. When I see a sheep going astray, I don't always know if they're going astray. I don't often know very much at all. I seem sometimes to be the last one to find anything out. But I have a responsibility to be watching, to be observing, to be an overseer. And as sheep, sheep have a responsibility to obey them that rule over them. And you might say, whoa, that, no, no. Well, you know, your reservation and caution is well-founded because there have been many shepherds, many bishops throughout history and even in present days who lord over the flock. They're not leading, they're not guiding, they're not loving, they're not protecting. Rather, they're lording over them. Now, what exactly that means and where it comes together, I, it's, there's, a, there's a line that may be different and for different people. There are some people who are very much visionary and in seeking the Lord and in tune with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord and mature and very much so are in a sense following in a very close relationship with the Lord. And they're very visionary people. And there are others who are followers who need and long for someone to come alongside them and to give them specific examples and leading and even instructions. And so where that balance comes in different places may be difficult, but it is given. Here, notice in Peter. Here he's given the command to take the oversight thereof. The command is given. Take the oversight thereof. Be the bishop. Be the bishop of the souls. You might say, well, that's only the chief shepherd. And you're right. If you look back over in chapter 2, verse 25, Jesus Christ is the one who is the shepherd and bishop of your souls. But he's also seen the need to appoint men qualified as the qualified qualifications are given in Titus and Titus first in Titus chapter one and First Timothy chapter three of others to be these these overseers to take the oversight thereof is the command given oversight of the flock. But look at some of these checks and balances. As you might be like, whoa, whoa pastor, telling me what to do, obey them that rule over me? Pastor ruling? These are things that some people have reacted to, and sometimes they react to it because elders in their past or elders they've seen or witnessed have not paid attention to what follows here in this commands. First is that it's not by constraint, but willingly. Oh, how miserable it would be to follow a pastor, to follow or to obey an overseer, who's just doing it because it's a job. That would be tough. And so the command instruction given to the elders is, is to take the oversight thereof, and not by constraint, not because somehow you're being forced to, but what is it? But willingly. It has to be a calling. It has to be a passion. It has to be something you're volunteering to. You don't just be a pastor because your dad's a pastor. You don't just be a pastor because everybody says, you'd make a good pastor. No, it has to be something that is a calling of the Lord and something that truly comes from the heart. Because otherwise, it's going to be a very troublesome relationship with the flock as you take the oversight thereof. 
Nobody likes to work with one who's doing the job just because he's got to do the job. Especially when it's dealing with souls. Especially when it's dealing with the very innermost parts of who we are. And when a pastor comes along and he's coming along with constraint, I got to do this with. It's not going to go well. It has to be something that he has a passion for. It's willing. It's a volunteer thing. Well, look here as it continues on. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. What is filthy lucre? Filthy lucre is any ill-gotten or shamefully gotten gain. There's many times throughout history and even in modern times of examples of those who are presented as elders, as overseers, as bishops, who are using their position to pad their own pockets, to increase their own wealth, and wrongfully so. This doesn't mean that a pastor shouldn't be paid. Filthy lucre is not money. Filthy lucre is how the money's gotten, how the wealth is gotten. And if it's gotten in a criminal or an illegal or a wrong way, uh, no, that's not what's being talked about here. So here you see how one who is an overseer is put in a place of temptation to take advantage of the flock, to fleece the flock. You ever heard that? The overseer is not one who is fleecing the flock. No, he's protecting. He is worthy of hire. In fact, if we were to turn back to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, it tells us there that the elders, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And so here it's not saying that a a pastor, an elder, an overseer is not to be paid. It means that he's not to be one who is doing it and using it to get shameful gain or ill-gotten gain. But then it says of a ready mind. That's an interesting, interesting phrase in contrast. It's, it's not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You see, sometimes overseers, Bishops have used their office, have used their position in strategizing of how they can exploit the situation to their own gain. No, what is being described here is exactly the opposite of using that mind to do the true ministry, to do the true ministry. What could be led astray for ill-gotten gain or for filthy lucre is rather used in a ready mind of the ministry. Those attentions focused on feeding the flock and the proper oversight of it. And there's another warning. There's another concern. Here you see overseer. Well, you might sit back and say, oh, that sounds like somebody bossing people around. Well, the Holy Spirit anticipated that concern, anticipated that problem. It doesn't say that there's no overseer. It doesn't say that there's not one whom is an elder, who, one who is to rule in the church, one who's, as Hebrews 13 says, to be obeyed. That still stands true. But there's a qualifier on it, too. He cannot be one who is being as a lord over God's heritage. There are some who may be in this position of authority, which is a legitimate position of authority, who abuse this position of authority 
to act like a king, to act like a prince, to act like one who can tell everybody what to do. That's not what an overseer is. In fact, the contrast to one who would think of being lords over God's heritage, his heritage is his flock, which he purchased with his own blood, it is rather but being in samples to the flock. It's about leading by example, not lording by ordering. Do you see it? Yes, that's my responsibility. It is the elder's responsibility to preach the word, and the word is filled with many commands. There is a ruling that takes place. There is a submission that does take place in the relationship. But it is not as lording over, and it is done in a way of setting an example, of leading by example, which reminds me again of what comes up here of the elders which are among you. I'm a sheep just like you. I need to be following the great shepherd just like you. And if I'm not following the great shepherd, you better not be following me. If I'm not following the great shepherd, you better not be following me. Paul brought this as a truth to the church at Corinth when in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, he said this, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. If I'm not following Christ, please don't follow me. Please don't follow me. We are all following Christ, and unless this is true, as Paul said here, and unless this is sincerely and true, where Paul could say, be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ, it is so real for me to consider that and for you to consider that as you follow me. Don't blindly follow a shepherd. If you're blindly following me, even though I may be preaching the word and feeding the word and in all sincerity and honesty, if you're just blindly following me and not assuring that what I say is truth, then who's to say when a false shepherd comes along, you won't just follow the false shepherd blindly. You have to keep the focus on following the great shepherd, the true shepherd. He's the one. Which, if you'll turn back to Hebrews 13, this is also communicated in Hebrews 13. Here in 1 Peter, we're seeing the command given, taking the oversight thereof, taking a position of authority over the church, over the flock, under the great shepherd. And first in Hebrews 13, verse 17, we read verse 17, we'll read it again, but it's important to see how the writer of Hebrews, in giving the command in verse 17, followed it up in the next verse. Look with me, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, 
for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. You see here, a command is given to the flock. Obey them that have the rule over you. They watch for your souls. And oh, by the way, overseers, bishops, as you're watching for their souls, know that as you take that oversight, you will answer and give an account for how you do it to the Lord. And there is a dual duty and responsibility that's going on here between both the sheep and the overseer in the anticipation of the responsibility to the great shepherd. And in this all, this writer here recognizing the significance of this responsibility of giving and taking oversight and the need of giving an account pleads with his readers, pray for us. Pray for us. Because again, I am a sheep just like you. And just as there is a roaring lion, an adversary that all of you have, he's mine too. And he wants to devour me. I don't know if I have any biblical authority in this, but it seems sometimes that those who are in a position of authority seem to just get mounted up on Satan's dartboard. Extra special bold eye position. Target. He can knock down the shepherd. He can scatter the sheep. Pray. Pray for me. Pray for me that I trust to have a good conscience and in all things to live honestly. But I recognize I'm a sheep just like you, prone to wander and definitely subject. Subject's the wrong word. Uh, needing to be sober and vigilant against our adversary, the devil. He will cause trouble. But did you see that there in Hebrews 13 about the giving account? See, because all of this now brings it again to this eternal perspective. The pastor in his ministry has to keep an eye on the great shepherd, the great shepherd, who is Jesus. For look what it says here in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, we shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. This is a crown of glory that fadeth not away, that is given to us when the chief shepherd shall return. You see, as I look at this, as I am here day by day feeding the flock, taking the oversight thereof, I can't lose focus on the fact that the great shepherd's coming back and that I will give an account to him. And if I am found faithful to receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. What's significant about this? Well, as those people who would have been reading this, they would have seen and known of the athletes in their towns. Many of these cities that are named in the beginning here of this region had m massive um, places where there would be sporting events and running races and chariot races, all kinds of fun things. Not always fun, but all kinds of competitions. And there would be victors. And the victors, when they would finish, they would come to the Bema seat called a judgment seat, and there they would receive rewards. And you know what the rewards were? It would be a crown. It's called a Stephanos. That's where I get my name from, Stephen. A crown, and it was made of oak leaves or of ivy leaves, and it was laced together as a crown, and it was placed on the victor's head. And you know what? If you won that, you'd wear that crown throughout town all the rest of the week, and, well, you'd wear it 
until it faded. Because when you have oak leaves or ivy leaves, after a while they will fade and fall away, and you're probably not going to want to keep wearing that crown. That was the crown given, but here, here, this is speaking of. There is this race, there is this life to live, there is this calling to live for the elder, the pastor, the bishop. But when he sees the great shepherd, it faithfully lived will receive this crown of glory, but this won't fade like the ivy and the oak crown. This fades not away. And so there is so much given here to the pastor, his need of ministry, his burden for the flock, his responsibilities to feed and take the oversight of it. It is a, it is a struggle. And struggle may not be the right word, it's combination of a struggle and a joy, a pleasure and a responsibility to be an under-shepherd, to be an under-shepherd to Jesus, the good, great shepherd, and to follow him and to lead the flock of God, to feed the flock of God and to take the oversight thereof. It's an important ministry, and I echo with you, with the writer of Hebrews. Brethren, pray for us. Pray for your pastors. Pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. We need to work together in this ministry as we continue walking through life. Again, in 1 Peter, it's interesting that the context of this is, is in persecution. We don't have time to continue on, but it's all, it's all connected. But in the times of persecution, how often it is to remove the shepherd, to remove the shepherd. Some time ago, we had a Chinese brother and his family fellowshipping with us while he was here in the United States. And there was a time when, just uh, last few years, when he was back in China, and they were a part of an unregistered underground church in China. And uh, they were meeting in a business complex, and one day came when they came in and found that the entire place was set up with cameras, every room pointing in every direction. And that afternoon, when they finished their services, um, all of the pastors, anyone that had anything to do with sharing and preaching the word, were all arrested. You know why? Because the authorities in that place who are wanting to destroy Christ's church know how important the ministry of the pastor is. Now, it doesn't mean that they cannot continue thriving because the great good shepherd's still there. But it is a ministry that is so very important that even the godless world sees and causes trouble. It's one of the reasons why sometimes when we read of persecuted Christians and persecuted churches, we sometimes find ourselves uncomfortable as we read about them and sometimes read about their doctrine. As we think, that's not it's not always biblical, and we become a little uncomfortable with it. Well, one of the reasons that that happens and why we need to have a lot of grace in those situations, not compromise, grace, there's a difference, is, is that 
their pastors, their shepherds who are feeding them the word have been torn away from them as well as the actual scriptures have been torn away from them. And so it's very common for either um, those who are not mature to be leading or for wolves to come in and spare not the flock. And so in this context, Peter is again coming back to this aspect and the need of the elder, the pastor, the bishop, in the necessity of the local church, as we all as sheep, for I am a sheep among you, follow the good shepherd. And we can't lose focus of him. And so I leave you with this today. Look at 1 Peter chapter 13, and may this be our application. I'm sorry, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us for we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. Gracious God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be purchased, so that we could become your heritage. We could be a part of the flock of God. We could be your sheep. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the good shepherd, that you are faithful and that you are true. And that of all of the concerns and the issues that we've seen and of how it's been twisted in the human ways, we consider you as the good and perfect one. For you have truly set an example for us all, and especially for us as pastors and shepherds. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to understand this relationship and how it works, that in and through it, you might be glorified. Lord, I pray for myself and for Pastor Virgil and for pastors in our community and throughout the world that we might heed the cautions laid out here in 1 Peter chapter 5 and that we would live having a good conscience and that we would live honestly. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge today that I cannot do that in my own strength, and I need you. And so I thank you for your strength, your grace, your Holy Spirit that fills me. May we as a people discern and understand, Lord, I think of the need for us all to be feeding, feeding directly from you, day by day and moment by moment and following directly you. Lord, may we not lose focus of that. I am but a man, and may people only in this church follow me as I follow you. 
For in the end, the goal is your glory, your honor, your praise. You are the chief shepherd, the one whom we look to, the one whom we long to return. We look to that day with great joy and anticipation. You have promised that you come and your reward is with you. We need to see you. And as we receive those rewards, I look to that day to take the Stephanus and put it at your feet. For without you, there is nothing that I can do. And I speak for all of us here together in this church, in this little flock here on this side of South Bend. Lord Jesus, we need you, we need you, we need you, and there is nothing we can do apart from you. And in all the day that we receive the rewards from you, we will all together put them at your feet as we give glory and honor to you, our chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. We love you in this day and we praise you and we commit ourselves to you in your name. We pray, amen.